When you hear that a student is playing in school, what are your first thoughts as an educator? My guest, a former kindergarten teacher, shares how he used play to transform the classroom, increase learning, and engage students of all ages. I'm excited for everyone to hear the amazing insight of Adam Peterson, the author of Teach, Play, Learn, as we discuss how to lead through play. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Adam, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here with you and just get to chat. Thanks. And Adam, I'm a huge fan of your book, and we'll definitely talk about that. But before we do that, I just wanted to ask you about your educational journey and kind of the impact that you are having really around the country. Well, thank you. Yeah, for, for noticing that. And my educational journey started, I guess when I decided I want to be a teacher, started for me the summer between my junior and senior year of high school. And I was the type of kid who who nobody guessed that I was going to be an educator. Like, <laughs> I, I was a good student. Like I did everything I had to do, but I wasn't someone who like excelled at school. I got into trouble here and there. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I didn't really know. Like a lot of people say, I don't know what I want to be. I did not know what I wanted to do when I grew up. And I, I wrote a lot about that in my book, but yeah. I got an opportunity to work at a summer camp between my junior and senior year of high school with, it was through Easter Seals. So it was the children of various disabilities and abilities mm-hmm. from, you know, ages like seven up to 21. And it, it changed my life sure. for, for as cliche as that sounds, it totally did. And I knew that I wanted to be a teacher and I I had planned on special education. And I I went to college, went to a small college here in Illinois called Monmouth College. And they dropped the special ed program my freshman year because there was no interest. There wasn't enough interest in the the college board to to have that as a major. Right. So anybody that was in the major got to finish, but us freshmen, they were like, pick something else. And (laughs) I knew I wanted elementary. Like I I knew regardless of, of the type of, you know, situation I was in, I wanted elementary school. And I was lucky enough to get to aid in a kindergarten classroom my first semester freshman year. Got to go observe and, and I fell in love with it. So kindergarten was what I wanted. And, and I am very thankful to the college that I went to because they they made you try it all kind of like I was in a, a kindergarten classroom and then I was in a high school special ed classroom. I was in a sixth grade language arts classroom, kind of all over just to see what you first of all, if this is even what you want to do. Right. <laughs> and second of all, like, where do you want? So. I mean, kindergarten was it, and I got student teach kindergarten, and then after that, I taught a, a year of preschool after graduating, and then 13 years in the kindergarten classroom, wow. and now two years out doing consultant work and writing, and one of those journeys I never, kind of like I didn't know teaching was going to be my thing, I didn't know that this was going to be my thing either, and it really happened last minute. Like I, I, I had no intentions of leaving the classroom. Mm-hmm. I was loving what I was doing, but I'm a big believer that when a challenge comes along in life, you take it, because it yeah. might not come along again. And I got this opportunity through a company called Staff Development for Educators, SDE, offered me a position to, to kind of consult and do social media work for teachers full time. And I was like, let's see what happens. So in like April, <laughs> I think it was like April, I went to my admin and I was like, I'm not coming back next year. I'm going to, I want to try this. It wasn't that I had, I mean, I wasn't sick of teaching. Sure. A lot of people here, like, you know, we left the classroom because education is doing this and this and this. And I wasn't burned out. Right. I was just ready for, for something a little harder. You know, I was at a place in my life and in my classroom where my kids challenged me every single day. Yeah. But I felt like there wasn't a lot of me challenging myself. I was comfortable and yeah. comfortable is not good. And I wanted to be uncomfortable. And so I did. I stepped out and, and here we are and consulting, writing, doing, doing this kind of stuff. Yeah. 
No, I love that. I want to talk about you as a student because you said, you know, you kind of went through the motions and you weren't really loving education. Do you feel like that experience impacted you as a teacher and where you are today? I think totally. Yeah. And you know, it's funny when I was in the process of writing the book, I had, I had this whole story out. And one thing that's so awesome about working with DBC is it's your story. And they are very passionate about like, this is your work. We're not changing it. We just, we just want to help you make it, you know, shine. And their editors do just that. And I remember talking with one of their editing team members and, and him saying like, this, this is great. Like these ideas are wonderful, but what point in your life like made you think this way? And, and I had never really thought about it before. And I think, you know, just, without me even really thinking, that's why, like you just said, I, I taught the way I did. Because I do remember those teachers that that pushed the the play-based or the the doing is what I talk a lot about. Like yeah. kids learn through doing on me. And then I remember the teachers that didn't too. And, and I try to say this a lot that that doesn't make any one teacher better. Like I, I had great teachers. They were just teachers that reached me more and teachers that reached other students more. You know, like I was one of those kids that had to be doing. And yeah. I think that's, that's why when I did get in some trouble is because I, I was... <laughs> I wasn't someone who sat and got, you know, I needed to do to get. So, yeah, I think kind of unknowingly, it led me to the path that I, I began teaching. Oh, I was definitely can relate to that. And I think that's why I connect to your book so much is because I was a, very much the same student. I had to move, move, <laughs> move at all times. But, you know, looking at your title and the synopsis of your book, you know, the word play really comes out. And unfortunately, a lot of times education looks at play and that's like a dirty word. Like, no, we don't do that here. And so... Right. Why is it that that was so important to incorporate in your book? And why is that so important to incorporate in, into the classroom? You know, it, it's important, number one, but it also, it was, it was, I was lucky to be able to do it. I think that's why it became so passionate to me sure. because I had an administration who, who, and, and don't get me wrong, like our school, no school, I think is a perfect place. There's, there's battles here and there and head, but here and there and our, our school, while I love it, I'm a better teacher for teaching there. We, we had our issues from time to time. But one thing I preach is that we had an administrative team, regardless of who was, I mean, we went through principals here and there, but every single one of them allowed all of our teachers to teach the way they wanted to teach as long as they were doing what they had to do. And that's, that's a quote that rings true in my book quite a bit. I, say, I always say it's not about what you teach, but how you teach it that makes the difference. And thankfully, we were allowed to do that. You know, they, they knew we did our job and as long as we did what they would let us do it our way. So I have to give credit there because I don't think if I had an administrator that thought differently that I ever would have experimented the way I did. Really, when you ask why or what led to that, it, it was really just, I think, because I'm a big kid. I mean, look, I, have, I have purple <laughs> hair. Like, There's a reason. There's a reason I have purple hair. But <laughs> I'm kind of a crazy guy. So I did it because that's what I think felt natural to me, you know? And then as the more I did it and the, the goals that I saw being hit, I mean, really, it was it was the kids' the data that I collected and, and the observations they would make. And I really started seeing a shift in what my kids were able to do when I just allowed them to learn naturally. And there, there's some stories in the book that I talk about that that were profoundly like eye-opening, life-changing moments in my room where I was like, oh my gosh, like why have I not been doing this all along or that all along or teachable moment type things that came out of a play-based you know, experience with the kids. I love the part that you talked about admin because a lot of times admin unfortunately get in the way. And I love when administrators and leaders just allow people to use their strengths and be effective in the classroom with those, even if it's some type of crazy idea. So um, I love that you yeah. said that. As far as those crazy ideas, you know, for our leaders and for our educators that are listening, is there any strategies? And I don't want you to unpack the entire book, but are there some like key strategies that you love that you like to share about? 
Yeah. Um, I, I start the book talking about kind of my philosophy of expectations with my kids. And, and there's, there's things that I focus on as the year starts. And, and the first one is, is relationships. Obviously relationships aren't everything we do, but relationships have to be the first thing we do, right? Like, especially in a kindergarten classroom where kids are coming for the first time ever and they see this six foot four male teacher they did not expect to see, you know, like <laughs> I, I build relationships to the start. And then yeah. the, the next part of that is, is this idea of engagement. And, and I think that if, if we can get administrators to see that engagement is what really drives our teaching and the education, then schools will change for the better. And that engagement can look however you want it to look for your style. But again, going back to the given, you know, credit where credit is due, I got to teach my style. I was able to, you know, dress in some silly costumes and I was able to transform my room in a certain way. I, le- I had my guitar in there and giant speakers on the wall. Like I, it was a loud place. And, and I was allowed to do that. So like those strategies, I think when we talk about administrators allowing or, or advice to administrators, just, just let your teacher's personality shine through. And, and that was, it's still very apparent. I get to go back to our school all the time. My wife still teaches there. We taught in the same hallway. So I get to go see the kids in the school and, and that rings true. I mean, her classroom looks so different than her neighbors and that neighbors look so different than that neighbors because they allow every teacher to kind of be themselves. And, and I think that's, that's super important. So if, when you ask for a piece of advice, I think really that's it. And then that kind of rings through in the book too. I talk about all those types of things, the engagement, the strategies, the relationships, and then just, just building this place where kids want to come. Are there any key components from a kindergarten class that translate to life and in leadership? Because <laughs> being in a classroom with kindergarten is a different world. <laughs> it is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I also know it's a place of exploration and, and things that, you know, sometimes there's a stigma, unfortunately, of, of a kindergarten teacher that really isn't true. But I know there's probably quite a few life lessons that you've learned in that classroom setting. Right. Yeah. What Everything I needed to know, I learned in kindergarten, right? <laughs> isn't that the Pretty poster? <laughs> no. But, um, you know, I think I think on my and, and also the kids. One thing I say all the time is that regardless of grade level, kids are going to get the stuff. You know, they're all going to get to these goals on their own path and they're going to get there at different times, but they're going to, they're going to get it. Like even in kindergarten, kids are going to learn how to read. They're going to learn how to write. They're going to learn math. They're going to learn science. They're going to learn all these things, this stuff. Right. But it's the, it's the substance in that classroom that outweighs the stuff. And, and I think when we talk about, you know, taking key components into life, even as a teacher and students, it's, it's those things. And mm-hmm. I know a lot of people use that term soft skills. I like to use the term essential skills. And that's a big part of the beginning of my year. And I think what drives what I'm able to do is, is I focus so much on the beginning of the year on expectations in the classroom and the fact that expectations in our room far outweigh the rules of our school. Because we all know as adults that rules are made to be broken right like and and kids are gonna break rules i mean that that's one thing that i think we forget sometimes that we were a kid and we broke rules you know and kids are gonna do the same thing i tell people all the time like pick your best student ever like your one best student ever and most times they're like oh yeah this little girl i'm like yeah it probably was right like (laughs) not to give gender roles there but but it was and like that best student at some point is going to run down the hall and that best student at some point is going to put their hands on another student or talk out of turn or, or, or not stand correctly in the, in the line. And I think the reason is because every child or every person inherently tests boundaries and, and wants to explore, like you mentioned, right? Like what explorations they do. 
So I try to focus on, on the positive side of that. And I think this helps a lot moving forward into other classrooms. And like you said, into life is, is I focus on what they should be doing. Like you should be showing respect. You should be helping others out. You should be using manners. You should be offering kindness to each other, you know? And, and that's, I think what carries far beyond the four walls of my classroom is we focus so much on those expectations. And I even say that in the book, like everybody looks at me and says, well, that's so much easier said than done, Adam. Yeah. Like, but we want our job to be easier. Like <laughs> if we can find a way to make it easier and, and whether you want to believe it or not, anybody that listens, like it's true when we focus, I mean, I did it for 13 years and it, and it worked wonders when we focus on expectations over rules and positives over negatives with kids, then, then your classroom management and, and those students as human beings moving forward is, is 10 times better. And and I'll argue that so I'm blue in the face, but it, it does work. Are there still behavior issues? Yeah, yeah. Are there still things you have to, you know, get past? But so I prepare them for for the real world. Is, is this is what a human being does, you know? And in, in turn, that made me such a better person. I mean, I'll admit I've I've got my you know skeletons in the closet too, like we all do, and I've I've got my dark side. But being around those little ones and and constantly focusing on positive, 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 yep. made me so much a better person. Not only just a better teacher, but a better person too. Well, I know you've got a ton of creative strategies in the book, and I'm I'm guessing there was some failure in that exploration as a teacher. So I'm curious what that even looked like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where do you start with that, right? I think it, it differed from year to year, obviously. Like there were things that worked and things that didn't, so you fixed those. But you're never, I mean, just like we aren't perfect people, no classroom should ever be considered a per- perfect place. One that I can think of that I, I talk about in a keynote that I go out and give is, is how we think sometimes that that everything we're doing to make school like this amazing place is working for every student. And I had this one little boy one time that, that proved it wasn't. And this happened in my last year in the classroom. I, like I mentioned my guitar, like I meet my kids at the door on the very first day of school, they walk up with their parents. I've got this electric guitar that's this bright blue with a wireless system so they can hear it in the classroom. We've got lights going all over. I'm standing on tables playing my guitar. They're jumping around singing songs. And, and this one little boy proved to me that that meant nothing. It, it was one of those moments where like, wow, I, I failed this kid because every other kid was like, oh my gosh, we're, we're having the best day ever. You know, this is the best place in the world. And this little boy just sat there with, he didn't care. He did not care what was happening. And, and he proved to me something I had thought all along that that stuff made it better. He proved to me that that stuff means nothing. Like until we find a way to reach every single one of our students. Right. So I had to find a way to reach that little boy and I had to change some of the things I was doing. I had to rewrite my plans and rewrite my ideas for that week because he proved to me that, that it's not a, a one size fits all kind of thing. So that, that I guess could be considered a failure. I think as teachers and, and as educators, we all know this, that a lot of times our failures fall when we see a, a student fail, you know, like not, not necessarily fail by the, the grade term, but when we can't, get through to that student the way we thought we could, or, you know, I felt like those were my biggest failures when I, when I let a student down. Well, I want to talk about your exploration too, and getting out of your comfort zone and trying to make a difference in the world with a project called Yellow Day. So can you explain to the listeners what that's all about? Yeah. Thanks for asking. So, um, this, this idea started six years ago now. So long story short, I did a TED talk on this. You can find it on, on YouTube. It's called Be the Yellow by Adam Peterson. I still can't believe I had the opportunity to do that. I'm thankful every single day. But the idea started from my mentor teacher. So I had this mentor teacher, unofficial mentor. Like there wasn't a mentoring program when I started. 
and uh, you're just kind of thrown in. And I had a great team. I had a great team. Don't get me wrong, but there was no like official assignee, you know, but her name was honor Trotter and honor had taught at our school for at that time, 20 plus years, somewhere in the twenties and kind of just took me under her wing. And she, the one thing I'll never forget about her and, and, you know, like career educators out there listening, take this as advice, I guess, is she came to me as a brand new teacher and said, tell me about this and tell me about that. And what are you doing here? And how's that working? And that, that changed every, you know, idea I had of someone who had been in the career for a long time, because usually it's us going to them and them looking at us like, that's never going to work. You know, like the stereotypical teacher that's close to retirement and isn't going to take new ideas, but she wanted to learn from me. And it, it made me feel so noticed and so welcomed in a place that I was brand new to. I mean, I knew nobody in the town that I moved to except my wife. It was, I was brand new to this place. And she came to me and said, Adam, I, I want to know what you're doing. And we built this amazing friendship over the next, I don't know how many years, she came back to our kindergarten team. So she had taught kindergarten a long time, moved to junior high, moved to th- all over the place in the building. And she was like three or four years away from retirement and, and they opened up a new kindergarten spot and honor went to our admin and said, listen, I want to finish my career where I started. Can I join the kindergarten team? And of course the four of us, we were like, yeah, we want her. We want her. We want her. Cause she was an amazing educator. So yeah, two years before she was supposed to retire, honor was diagnosed with cancer, started in her lungs, kind of spread like wildfire. And she was kind of forced to retire early because she needed to take care of herself. We were behind her 100%. And she ended up passing away about nine months later. And through this entire short-lived but hard-fought battle, Honor remained the most hopeful person in the world. Like she believed she had cancer for a reason, right? Like, right. and 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 it helped us kind of cope with it. And then the year after she passed away, I, I wrote a book about her called Yellow. And I didn't do it to to sell books or write a book. I just wrote it to kind of keep her spirit alive for all the people who I felt cheated out of getting to know her. You know, students and staff and community members who were new to our building that needed to know this wonderful lady. And I called it yellow because that was her favorite color. Her classroom was like the, the yellow room. Like I was the blue kindergarten room. We had all kind of like colors to assign our rooms, you know? I kind of turned that idea into this, this fact that that's how she made other people feel too. She made other people feel bright all the time. Like she could brighten your worst day just by being herself. And she did that by, by helping you realize the good that you had inside of you. So the book I wrote was very much about our friendship and it, it kind of told that story. We decided to celebrate her birthday per spirit of at our school in the biggest way possible. So we decorated the whole school yellow. We planted yellow flowers, yellow balloons all over the place. Everybody wore yellow shirts to school and we just celebrated honor and kindness. I mean, her, her idea of making people feel good kind of started this whole kindness movement based around this as well. So right. we called it yellow day and it's on May 9th and then put a video on YouTube just for the the hundred teachers that I had at the time, I think that were subscribers. And I get a message like two weeks later from a teacher in New Zealand. This teacher in New Zealand reaches out to me and says, Adam, we're going to do yellow day at our school. Tell me about it. And I was like, uh, huh? Like <laughs> New Zealand? What? Like, I didn't know you watched my channel there. And so fast forward, here we are five years later now since the first celebration. And we've seen yellow day celebrations pop up in 35 states or more now and eight different countries around the world. And the cool part is this is spread to not just like, let's decorate and make it happy. It's spread to people showing like random acts of kindness and just doing what honor did for us, brightening the world for everybody around her. So it's, I mean, it started as very much just our school and it's, it's hard. I still have a hard time saying that it's this movement that spread worldwide, but I keep getting messages after message from people who are saying we're celebrating honor here and it's crazy. So yeah, it happens May 9th is, is yellow day. This past year, we kind of turned it into this whole week-long celebration. 
And I kind of talked about that in my, in my Ted talk. And that was another challenge. I mean, you mentioned the word uncomfortable. I kind of talked about that too. I'm always up for a challenge. So my friend Didi said to me, Adam, why, why make yellow day just one day a year? What if we celebrated it all year long? And that's where the basis of my Ted talk came from is, is how to make that last in schools, homes, communities, businesses, every single day of the year and how we can all be that person for someone else like honor was for me. Well, Adam, I want to give you an opportunity to share with the listeners. So if they want to know more information about that, is there like a website? Obviously you've got the Ted talk, but is there a resource or a place to go to, to get more information? Yeah. So we, we have a website that's just make someone's day yellow.com. And on there, there's a link to the Ted talk. The whole story is there. My children's books are there. There's also a bunch of freebie products that some amazing teacher friends of mine have created that are products they could have put out on TPT, but instead they put them out there for free to people to help celebrate this. Got to give a shout out to two ladies from Belvedere School District in Illinois too, took my product for Yellow Day and translated it to Spanish for me, like free of charge. I put it out there for free and they just wanted to do it to help spread the the word. So yeah, makesomeonesdayyellow.com is where you can, can find it all. That's amazing. I love when, you know, something small like that, or at least when it starts out to be small, turns into something grand and, and it is affecting so many people's lives. So kudos to you and, and the passion that you have for that. Um, she sounds like an amazing woman. Thank you. She was, she was pretty phenomenal. I still, I, I know she's still here somewhere. Like I can feel her spirit, you know, but yeah, she was, she was pretty phenomenal lady. So let's talk about the uncomfortable piece. Cause you know, we've talked about that a couple of times going on a limb. I know you had mentioned in your first response, you talked about how most people kind of get in this routine of burnout and then that's when they leave the profession and they try and find opportunities elsewhere. But for you, you took a step out of a time in your life where you loved your profession, you loved what you were doing. So why is it that you get into these uncomfortable situations and, and exploring new opportunities? Yeah. You know, I, I think it's just me and my personality. I mean, I, I'm always trying random weird things. I'd like to say I'm a risk taker, but I haven't really done like, I want to skydive, but my wife won't let me now that we have kids. I wanna, <laughs> I, I'm kidding, but I, I love challenges and, and I feel like when you are comfortable, you're not growing yeah. and, and that can go, I mean, especially right now in what's going on in our world that can go into so many different aspects of our lives, whether it be a teacher, a parent, a, a spouse, you know, um, when you're not comfortable and you're not learning, then you're not growing as a human being. And for me, I was challenged every year in the classroom. Don't get me wrong. Like I was always trying new things, mm-hmm. new things that were coming down from, you know, the, the admin and the state and the, the, the nation level for educators was constantly challenging me as a teacher. Yeah. New bunches of students were challenging me. I, I, I always tried to do more. That's a, that's a phrase I love when, when, it, when in doubt, just do more, you know, like, always trying to find a way to do more. That doesn't mean work yourself to death, but do more than what you thought was possible. And really, it was just this, this influence of just all these people in my life. So like my wife is an amazing educator. I was watching her do these amazing things. I had some awesome friends that were retired but out on the presenting circuit. And I was watching them do these amazing things with schools they were going into and working with in schools, right? So I was in my classroom, loved what I did, challenged every day by my students, but I really did get to a place where I loved everything we were doing. I loved every unit. I loved these, these room transformations. I loved the songs and dances and the teaching, but I was like, where, where do I go next? Yeah. You know, like I felt like, like, how do I make it better? I feel like we're doing really good. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I meant that as a team, like sure. our school was doing some phenomenal things. Our kindergarten program was, was amazing. I mean, I still think it's one of the top notch programs in the area, but I, I, I needed a push, you know, I was like, what, what, what's next, Adam, you know? And, 
I really, like I said, had no intentions, but I had been doing some presenting on the side. I, like I'd take a day off here and there and go travel to present with a, a conference. Yep. But I, like I said, I had saw my friends working with these schools and I really thought that was interesting. Like they were pushing into schools all over the country and transforming it. And like, you know, if I, if I've transformed my classroom as much as I think I can, and I feel like I was doing a really good job with that and I influenced some others and others influenced me. I'm like, what if I could do that other places? And yep. I thought that many a times, but I never thought that it took leaving the classroom to do so. And then, like I said, when my, my friend Emily, who is the general manager of this company, mm-hmm. came to me one day and she says, how many days can you give us to present next year? And I, this was like in April. And I was like, I, I don't have any days left. Like, I haven't used them all. <laughs> and I can take, on, take unpaid days if that's what you mean. And I, I kind of went back to her. And actually, it was a conversation between my wife and I. Trisha said, she's like, see what she means by that. See what they can give, give you. And I was like, you know what? Let's, let's try this. So I said, well, what can you, I'll give you guys days, but what can you give me? And, and, and long story short, we worked at this agreement. I'm, I'm not, I'm a contractor. So like, sure. it, it, that's another big risk is we went from a two teacher salary family <laughs> to a one teacher salary family and I get paid when I work, you know? So yeah, I decided if I, if I can impact my classroom and my kids the way I have, what if I try that in other schools, you know? So yeah. where I was teaching and presenting now I get to do, I, I call it teaching teachers because this has given me more of an opportunity to work with schools rather than conferences. And, and I've built some amazing, amazing friendships and relationships with schools around the country. Got to give a shout out to my, my friends at Cedar Tree Academy in DC. I've been there quite a few times and I've got to really witness this school take the idea that I, I put in my book, like the yeah. whole play-driven classroom, I put it into action. And awesome. while I could have met them at a conference, I don't think I would have gotten to see that had I not been out of the classroom at their school so much, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it, I don't know that it was really any one thing, but it was just this buildup of, all right, I'm comfortable here. I'm comfortable here. I'm comfortable here. I need a push, yeah. you know? And, and that was it for me to step out of the classroom and see what happens. And then obviously writing the book was another big challenge. Yep. Doing the Ted talk was a challenge doing this podcast. Like I just, I'm constantly looking for a new idea and <laughs> maybe that's why I'm so burned out sometimes, but I don't know. When in doubt, do more. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, that's a good segue because you talked just briefly uh, about your podcast. And I always love hearing podcast origin stories. And I also love giving free resources to my listeners. So I know you had three podcasts. You're down to two. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of um, forgot about that. Yeah. What, <laughs> what are your podcasts all about? Yeah. So I had been listening to podcasts, education. Like I love what you're doing. I love what some other like teach better talk. I'd been listening to theirs. But I also love just podcasts in general. Like I'm a big, I love like conspiracy theory podcasts and I'm a huge fan of the Joe Rogan experience, you know, and I just love podcasts. I love listening when I mow the yard or when I'm driving by myself. And I was actually in Vegas at, a, at the national conference for staff development for educators three years ago. I think this was, I had some recording equipment out there with me because I was doing their social media work and recording videos and whatnot. And someone said to me, they're like, do you have a podcast? I'm like, I've never never really thought about that before. And they're like, you, you should, like, we love your YouTube channel. I was like, let's try it. So we really did. I set up the microphones I had with me, six interviews in Vegas and um, put them out. I think that year. And that podcast was called on my way to school with Adam Peterson. And it was like 15, 20 minute episodes, like interviewing amazing educators from all over the country, just talking about positivity. And, and I had fun with it. And then I got busy. Like, you know, we get, we get busy. <laughs> I was like, I don't have any more episodes, but around the same time I was getting ready to start recording new episodes, my friend Didi Wills, who runs a website called Mrs. Wills, 
phenomenal speaker, teacher, writing coach reached out and she said, Hey, I've been wanting to start a podcast, but I don't want to do it by myself. Would you want to co-host one? And she goes, I don't want to replace yours, but I I want to try one. And, And I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm ready for more too. So I kind of did let it replace mine and we started a new one together that we co-host called the Classroom Collaborative Podcast. And I think we, this week just launched episode 41. So we have 41 episodes out and it really, it's tips, tricks, trends, book ideas, um, just really like this conversation. It it gets so candid. We just, we just talk, you know, and it's usually the two of us, but then we bring on guests as well. and, And it's been fun. And then after my book released, I, I know you and I had kind of talked about this and I've, I've told others that I had a lot of people saying like, I love the ideas, but can you expand on it? Or I, I like this idea. Where did you get that idea from? And so many of the ideas shared in that book were ideas that have been passed down, you know, throughout the years and, and centuries from educators. So I was like, you know what? There are so many voices out there that are passionate about this, this idea of play-based learning or, you know, child-centered learning. So, so let's start a podcast. So we did. Yeah. I started a new one called Teach, Play, Learn the Podcast. So I run to on my way to school, Adam Peterson is still out there, the episodes, but yeah. Classroom Collaborative and Teach Play Learner are still releasing new content. Well, even though there's not new content on that first podcast, the listeners definitely need to go and tap into that resource. Well, thank you. Yeah. And then, you, you know, you mentioned the YouTube, you know, that, that's where I knew you from was from YouTube and your videos. Why did you choose that as your social media source to get content out? Yeah. You know what? That came from... I'm not going to lie, not every year that as we know as educators, not every year is perfect, right? Like we, we have those years and I had a year seven years ago now, you know, and I wasn't ready to leave, but I just, I was in one of those years where I was in a rut and I felt like nothing was going right. I had a challenging group, but I was also not challenging myself as much as I should have been to make it better for them. And I was just, I was stuck. And a buddy of mine, um, his name is Matt Beck. Uh, we grew up together, played in bands together all through college and still good friends. Our families are good friends. He had moved to the East coast to go to, he, he'd gone to hair school, like out of nowhere. This is a kid that <laughs> had no idea what he to do with his life, sure. had worked odd jobs here and there. And he came to us at band practice one night and we're getting ready to rehearse for the show we we're putting on. And he's like, I'm going to go to hair school. So we're going to stop rehearsing. And I was like, no, you're not. And he's like, no, like I already signed up. And so fast forward 12 years or whatever it is now. And he and his, his fiance own their own salon in New Hope, Pennsylvania. And he's, he's made a name for himself. Like he's a keynote speaker at huge hair shows, you know, and like he, the Paul Mitchell trainer and he's, he, he owns his own salon. Right. Well, he's also done something really cool is he started a YouTube channel for hairdressers okay. and it, it started just as him behind the chair cutting hair, you know, and it, it's grown to this. He has his, you know, there's an app out now and he's got a brand new website that features other hairstylists and that's what he's known for. Free salon education is, is what he's known for. Mm-hmm. So that year I was in a rut was the year that he was kind of growing. And I went to him and I said, Matt, what is it? What is it that is making you so passionate about your job? And he said, it's a turning point for him when he got to share his love with others. I was like, oh my gosh, that's a good idea. I said, so how'd you do that? And he said, I started a YouTube channel. And, and I said, well, tell me about that. And he said, I just bought a cheap camera, put it on a tripod and started filming myself cutting hair. So he said that helped drive his passion back to why he loved what he did because he got to share with others. And I was like, you know, what? I'm gonna try it. So yeah, that's where it started. I, I bought a camera. And I just started, I got permission from board members, staff, parents, <laughs> and I just started filming my classroom and it was really just games, tricks, ideas, tips. And then it's grown. I mean, it's not huge. I have like 5,000 subscribers, but it's, I remember when I hit a hundred, I was like a hundred people are loving my channel. Like, yes. Yeah, like, cause that's, that's a hundred more people than I ever would have reached, sure. you know, 
without it. So yeah, it was because of my friend Matt that I ventured into YouTube. It was it was a combination of him and and me needing a way to to kind of refuel my passion. Yeah. And I got to do that by sharing with others. It's a fun story to hear about other people outside of education inspiring you to to create something that's now inspiring uh, other educators. So I love that story. Well, thank um, you. Yeah. So Adam, I always like asking advice from my guests as far as those who may not have a leadership position, but they want to make an immediate impact on their campus or in their district. So do you have any advice for, for those folks? Yeah. My, my biggest one is, is open your door and teach. And, and I think so many people say, like we hear that for the first time, shut your door and teach. If you don't like what's going on, just shut your door and teach. Right. Well, we're not, we're not going to make change happen if we do that. And and I know that there's probably like fire code laws that your door has to be shut or something. But I mean, in in the most literal sense of the word, open your door and teach. Yeah. And if you want to make an impact, if you have something really good that's going on, then then do that. Just spread it. There's a reason. There's a reason we all went into this teaching field, right? Like, and I'm I'm a big believer. I tell people this all the time, and and it probably rubs some people the wrong way, but. I think I don't think there's such thing as a bad educator. I think there are great people who are teaching, and then there are probably some people who shouldn't be teachers. And that that's the way I look at education. There's yep. I don't think there's any such thing as a bad teacher. You know, the people that really are meant to be teachers are phenomenal human beings. And we need to show off what we're doing. And and that that means maybe you're doing it the same way you've done every year and it works for you. Then then show why that works. You know, transforming your room and doing these wild and crazy things, then show that off too. If you're someone that's a little bit more reserved and you just, you know, tried something new in science and this experiment engaged your kids more than ever before, then show that off. Whatever it is, every single classroom has something to be proud of. And every single teacher has something to share. And, and I think when we can, when we can show that off, not for show off purposes, but when we can share that, then do that, open your door and teach and take risks and, and see what happens. Adam, I love the content that you're putting out there from YouTube, your book, the podcast. So for those who are listening and want to get connected, how can they connect with you on social media? Yeah. Thanks for asking, man. Um, I'm always up for sharing ideas with others. And that that's what I, I love about social media is, is that networking opportunity, right? Like, I mean, that's how we connected. So Definitely. yeah, uh, YouTube, it's kind of a, a mess. I started this idea. I didn't want to be known as as just Adam Peterson because no one knew who that was, right? So I started my YouTube channel with a website years ago called Teachers Learn 2, the number two, teachersleartwo.com. But now the YouTube channel is called Adam Peterson Education. So really Adam Peterson Education is how you find everything. Um, that's my website. Uh, on Facebook, there's an Adam Peterson Education page um, that I'll uh, link all my videos to as well. And then Twitter and Instagram, it's still with my Teachers Learn 2 handle. So it's at Teachers Learn 2 the number two. I had it originally with what you see on my shirt, your teachers learn T-O-O, but someone's sitting on that, that domain name and it was going to cost me <laughs> not even a website. It's just someone bought that domain and it was going to cost me a fortune. So I was like, oh, we'll just make it the number two. But yeah. So Adam Peterson Education or Teachers Learn 2 with the number are, are how you can find me. Wonderful. And everyone that's listening definitely needs to reach out to Adam or connect with him in some way. He's got so many amazing resources. And I think any educator, no matter your experience, will definitely find some value. Adam, it is such a pleasure to talk with you. Well, thank you, man. I, I Right back at you. I admire your work more than you know. So thank you for doing what you're doing to make teachers heard. It, it means a lot.